Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. Our first speaker today, Patrick Riley, founded the Carnal Newman Society in 1993 and serves as its president and CEO. He's authored numerous reports and studies on Catholic education written articles on Catholic education and other issues for many national publications and been interviewed by major secular and Catholic media to discuss the Cardinal Newman Society's work. Mr. Riley co-edits the Newman Guide to Choosing a Catholic College and its companion magazine, My Future, My Faith. He formerly served as Executive Director of Citizens for Educational Freedom, Higher Education Analyst for the U.S. House Education Committee, Program Analyst for the U.S. Department of Education, and Media Consultant for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Mr. Riley earned a bachelor's degree in political science and communications from Fordham University in 1991, and a master's degree in public administration from the American University in 1993. But more importantly, and I'll speak to you uh, from my heart, he, along with our other speakers, today, a handful of, of good men and women in our country have turned the tide of Catholic higher education, and I, for one, am a product of that gift, and so I thank you for your good work uh, through the Cardinal Newman Society. You have made it possible for the resurgence of, ca of authentic Catholic education in the United States and beyond. Please welcome Patrick Riley. Well, welcome today. Thank you so much for coming out to our conference. I'm very excited. Uh, it's been a, a long week for a number of us. With, uh, we had a, a meeting on Wednesday with the presidents of about 20 uh, very good, faithful Catholic colleges and universities. We had the March for Life. I was at the Rose Dinner last night. And, and this, is, this caps it off. This is a very exciting day. Um, but even more important, I would say, you know, we're here to, for the conference, but I'm especially grateful to be gathering today for the Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, as you may know, is the patron of Catholic universities, of Catholic schools, and of students. And so it's just a wonderful day to be talking about these issues. And, um, you know, Thomas Aquinas, you're probably familiar with his, his great volume of, of amazing work that still today uh, guides so many of us in an understanding of the faith and, and, our, and its rationality. Um, but uh, at the end of his life, Thomas Aquinas actually stopped writing and just dropped everything. Uh, he had had a, uh, a vision uh, and, and just said, I can't even begin to, uh, in, in all of my work, it's nothing compared to the glory of God. And so he spent the rest of his life just simply worshiping God, which is Really, I, I suppose a, uh, he had a, an early entrance into heaven, right? That's what we all hope uh, when, when we're in heaven, that we can just spend our time just, 
just glorifying and basking in, in God's glory uh, and not have to go through all this rational process to try to figure out and understand all of this. Uh, but as it is, we are, uh, we are in this life and we are human and, and we need to do that. Um, uh, this morning, I, I was also, uh, as Father pointed to the homily this morning, I was also struck, uh, Father Christensen is actually a former intern at the Cardinal Lumen Society before he became a priest, and so I've known him for a long time. And I was struck by something else that he talked about this morning, where he talked about the apostles, um, the apostles referring to Jesus as teacher, rabbi, Right? And, and the, the Vatican documents on Catholic education talk about Christ as the, as the great teacher, the model teacher uh, for, for Catholic educators. Um, but his point that, that Jesus wanted us to know him as Lord. Right? And I think that that says so much about the distinction between Catholic education and what, what everything else that's out there and presented as education. Catholic education is not purely about passing on knowledge. It's not purely about uh, understanding and rationality, even though that's all part of it. Uh, ultimately, Catholic education is the church's primary means of evangelization. It's our primary means of bringing young people to Christ and helping them to know and love and serve him. And Catholic edu education is formation. It's a term that we use very often at the Cardinal Newman Society. It's not simply presenting knowledge. It's formation in mind, in body, and soul. And when it's done right, you see it. It's usually pretty apparent, and it's certainly apparent at these institutions that are represented here today. Um, Fifty years ago, in the summer of 1967, Several Catholic university leaders from the United States, from Canada, Puerto Rico, and Peru gathered at a remote retreat in Land of Lakes, Wisconsin. They were there to craft what they titled a statement on the nature of the contemporary Catholic university, as if there was a distinction between the contemporary university and what the church had originally developed. Uh, in fact, the very first universities in the world uh, proper universities were established either by the church or with the support of the church. Uh, but the statement came to, later came to be known, better known as the Land of Lakes Statement. It's hard to imagine that a simple document could have a devastating impact on Catholic higher education in the United States, but as they say, ideas have consequences. And today, the Land of Lakes Statement is regarded as a watershed moment after which most Catholic colleges and universities in the United States greatly secularized and generally lost their moorings. That's the crisis that we refer to in this conference today. And it's my task this morning to set up the discussion with a brief look at the Land O'Lake Statement and the state of Catholic higher education. So I will do that in just a moment. Uh, but first, I want to be clear that today's event with these four amazing college presidents is not really intended for wailing and gnashing of teeth, which you'll be relieved to hear. Uh, there's a lot of bad news still today in Catholic higher education, but any time that I find myself in the room with these particular college leaders, I find myself praising God for what he has wrought through them. 
Just three days ago, as I mentioned, the Cardinal Newman Society hosted a meeting with the leaders of 20 such institutions, including the four you'll hear from today, and I'm certain that they are really the future of Catholic higher education in the United States. And so while today we take the opportunity uh, on this 50th anniversary of the Land O'Lakes Statement uh, to, to take a look at it, we do so with great hope for the future. The wonderful men from whom you are going to hear today have not only rejected the Land of Lakes mentality, but they are also innovative and charismatic leaders who are leading colleges that are deliberately and joyfully Catholic. That is, they have a genuine commitment to forming young men and women for Christ. There are many other such colleges that the Cardinal Newman Society recommends in our Newman Guide to Choosing a Catholic College, and I encourage you to access the content to that guide if you have not done so in, in the past. Uh, it's available free on our website, and we want everyone to know these institutions. Knowing these colleges is important, even if you don't have college-bound uh, students in your home. Your help in supporting and promoting and advocating these institutions is one of the most effective ways that you can advance advance the new evangelization because their graduates are the ones who are going to lead this culture back to God and I truly believe that. Now in order to explain the Land O'Lakes statement and what has happened in much of Catholic higher education it helps to understand the times in which the statement was produced. Uh, we all know I suppose the tenor of the 1960s, late 1960s. Uh, American society, especially in academia, seemed to have turned entirely against tradition and values. The church herself was shaken, and it was just one year after the Land O'Lakes statement that dissent from Humanae Vitae would expose serious divisions in the church that had already developed over some time beforehand. As for Catholic higher education, the rapid expansion of Catholic colleges and universities especially with the GI Bill, which allowed thousands of veterans to get a college education, many of them not Catholics, coming into our Catholic institutions, also exposed many weaknesses in our colleges. There's a fascinating study of religious colleges that was uh, titled The Dying of the Light. Uh, it was written by Father James Birchall, a former provost at Notre Dame. And uh, he studied the decline of, of various religious colleges, various religious denominations in the United States. Harvard, Princeton, I mean, all of these were started, most of the Ivy League schools were started as divinity schools. Uh, there's been a general trend in the United States for religious institutions within a few decades to lose their religious identity. And he looked at that and basically asked why and did a very thorough study. And he said that especially the Catholic institutions they were very strongly religious through most of their history, but it was because nearly everyone within those institutions shared the same identity. Before and during the 1950s, a Catholic college was owned by Catholics, it was led by Catholics, and it was populated by Catholics. And those Catholics had a common understanding of what it meant to be Catholic, not only theologically, but culturally. Now, we can say that that makes Catholic education, but it doesn't. We can have a soccer team with all Catholics, and you're going to have a very Catholic flavor to that soccer team, but it doesn't make it Catholic soccer. Uh, 
right? And so Catholic identity was assumed and they did little to define Catholic identity in their governing documents and their policies. This, unfortunately, left the door open for radical changes when more non-Catholics began to populate Catholic colleges and when we had that great crisis of faith uh, beginning in the late 1960s. Uh, also, even before the 1960s, there had been a long simmering concern in Catholic higher education about the lack of secular prestige. Uh, I was reading a biography of Archbishop Fulton Sheen, Venerable Archbishop Sheen, who taught philosophy at the Catholic University of America for many years. And as early as 1935, he addressed a board of trustees meeting to fight back efforts to make Catholic University what he called the Catholic Harvard. And he told them, quote, the task of integrating the supernatural with the natural, of infusing, divine, of infusing human knowledge with the divine, of complementing our knowledge of things with our knowledge of God, and of making all things theocentric, is the business of a Catholic university. Uh, speaking particularly about the Catholic University of America, he also said, quote, it is to education what the Catholic Church is to religion, namely the leaven in the mass. The church is not one of the sects, it is the unique life of Christ. And the Catholic University of America is not just one of the American universities, it is their soul. Nevertheless, in 1956, uh, the rather influential Monsignor John Tracy Ellis drew a lot of support for his position that Catholic academia must gain more secular appeal. He wrote, quote, in no Western society is the intellectual prestige of Catholicism lower than in the country where in such respects as wealth, numbers, and strength of organization, it's so powerful. Admittedly, the weakest aspect of the church in this country lies in its failure to produce nat national leaders and to exercise commanding influence in intellectual circles. And this at a time when the numbers of Catholics in the United States and their material resources are incomparably superior to those of any other branch of the universal church. Uh, it's rather interesting given the times when we've had such a decline in, uh, and certainly at the percentages of faithful church-going Catholics uh, and, and of our, our Catholic institutions today. If they had such a sense of lack of prestige in those days, um, it's interesting that today we actually enjoy a lot of prestige at our Catholic institutions um, and yet uh, not, not so much of a commitment to, to the Catholic identity. Um, note that his concern was not that Catholic academia was not doing its job. That wasn't his concern. His concern was the lack of secular influence and prestige resulting from what we were doing. And uh, I think it's fair to argue that that was also one of the leading motivations behind the Land of Lakes statement. Uh, and then third, there was also deep concern about Catholic colleges and universities being cut off from federal funds. Uh, the Supreme Court's 1947 ruling in Everson versus Board of Education had spurred questions about whether taxpayer dollars could ever support a Catholic education. And there were certainly concerted efforts uh, in Congress and in the states to try to restrict funding so that it could not go to any Catholic education. 
1970, shortly after the Land O'Lakes statement, the Supreme Court established its so-called Lemon Test that caused further worries about federal funding. Uh, today, of course, we can look back and we can see that, it, that many of those worries were unfounded. Uh, in fact, the Lemon Test and subsequent rulings have largely protected the participation of Catholic and other religious colleges in the federal student loan uh, student aid programs. Uh, and most of the institutions that we recommend are heavily engaged in the uh, federal aid programs, although thanks to the last eight years, there are new concerns about what that means for their institutions. Um, however, uh, most Catholic colleges and leaders admittedly did not foresee this uh, happy outcome uh, in, in the courts with regard to federal funding, and so funding was a very serious concern leading up to the Land O'Lakes Statement. Uh, something else rather momentous occurred in the church during this period, and that was the Second Vatican Council. One of the outcomes of the council was that the Vatican-sponsored International Federation of Catholic Universities, the IFCU, decided that it was time to better define the mission of Catholic higher education. It was a much needed task. However, the timing may not have been very good because the elected president of the IFCU at the time was Father Theodore Hesburgh of the University of Notre Dame who proved determined to reduce church influence in Catholic colleges and universities, although I think it could be fairly argued that he would have never anticipated or perceived what was going to come overall in Catholic higher education. Um, the 1967 gathering at Land Lakes, Wisconsin then was not, as it sometimes is portrayed, this independent gathering of rebellious college leaders. It was instead one of the several regional conferences intended to help draft a final IFCU statement on Catholic higher education. That final IFCU statement actually turned out to be rather good uh, under the influence and, and in some cases pressure uh, from the Vatican to ensure that uh, certain influences from the United States actually did not uh, turn the document. But Americans uh, remember the Land O'Lakes Statement, which was the North American Statement. Um, one might think that a document of this sort had input from a large number of college presidents. Again, it's usually perceived that the Land O'Lakes Statement was a national statement of Catholic higher education. In fact, Father Hesburgh brought together a very small group of like-minded college leaders, and so you might say that the deck was a little bit stacked in terms of what the result would be. Only 10 universities were represented at the Land O'Lakes Conference, and only six of those were from the United States. Boston College, the Catholic University of America, Fordham University, Georgetown University, the University of Notre Dame, and St. Louis University. And uh, President Garvey, since I mentioned Catholic University of America, I think it's only fair to mention that Catholic U was actually the, the only one of the institutions represented that dissented from the document. Uh, and rather uh, publicly, the rector of Catholic U uh, opposed it, which was a rather bold statement, given that it was rather widely embraced by the rest of Catholic higher education. Uh, of the 26 signers, seven were from Notre Dame and it's sponsoring Holy Cross Fathers, and 10 were Jesuits or leaders of Jesuit institutions. So that uh, largely dominated the group. 
The signers also, interestingly, included Atlanta's Archbishop Paul Hallinan and then Father Theodore McCarrick, who was president of the Pontifical University of Puerto Rico and later became Archbishop of Newark and then of Washington. I should point out one more interesting note. Uh, subsequent histories of the Land O'Lakes Conference suggest that the signers intended the document to apply rather narrowly to large research universities and not necessarily to all of Catholic higher education. If that was the intent, it was not expressed clearly in the statement itself, and upon publication, the statement was widely embraced throughout Catholic higher education. So, uh, there's much in the Land O'Lakes statement that was productive and supportive of Catholic identity. There's a lot of good in there, uh, especially in encouraging strong theology programs in our Catholic colleges and universities. But the key portion of the statement that received the most attention and had the greatest impact was this, quote, to perform its teaching and research function functions effectively, the Catholic University must have a true autonomy and academic freedom in the face of authority of whatever kind, lay or clerical, external to the academic community itself. That effectively meant a declaration of independence from the church. Over the next decade, most Catholic colleges and universities in America ended their legal ties to their founding religious orders and dioceses, giving ownership to independent boards of trustees. That was, in fact, a violation of canon law, to simply give away church property. But either the American bishops were in support of it, which some have argued, or they simply didn't think that they could stop it. Many colleges subsequently removed the crucifixes from their classroom walls and began to describe their Catholic identity in historical terms, such as in the Jesuit tradition. Many Catholic colleges weakened their core curricula in favor of the Harvard model of electives and specialization. They adopted a radical notion of academic freedom that is essentially incompatible with a Catholic education. Today, professors are allowed to babble nonsense or to outright deny the truths of the Catholic faith, but a faithful Catholic college is built on the conviction that church teaching is truth revealed by God. Since the Land O'Lakes statement, many Catholic colleges have hired professors with no expectation that they uphold the truths of the Catholic faith. They've employed theologians who openly oppose the faith or quietly undermine it. And most devastatingly, most Catholic colleges in the United States have largely abandoned the project of forming young people for Christ outside of the classroom. And so we have dorms and dorm activities and campus activities that often are not very different from what we see at a public university. So that's the sad legacy of the Land O'Lakes statement, or at least the ideas behind it. But as I said at the outset, there's an amazing renewal today of Catholic higher education, and the Cardinal Newman Society has been excited uh, to play a part in promoting that and bringing attention to it. All, every one of the new Catholic colleges established in, the, established in the last 50 years, and my understanding is there are actually some new projects underway, are vibrantly and faithfully Catholic. And they're setting an example for all of Catholic higher education. And there are key institutions that have, run, have uh, greatly reformed in terms of their Catholic identity, the Catholic University of America, the Bishop's University, 
uh, Franciscan University of Steubenville, which is a great uh, project of renewal under Father Michael Scanlon. Uh, and these have set a great tone for other institutions. Um, since 1990, these faithful colleges have had the guidance of St. Pope John Paul II's Ex Corde Ecclesiae, which you'll hear mentioned a number of times today. That's the Apostolic Constitution for Catholic Higher Education. The document defines for the church what it means to be a Catholic college or university, and Ex Corde Ecclesiae can rightly, I think, be seen as the Vatican's repudiation of what was wrong with the Land O'Lakes Statement. Uh, one example, Ex Corde Ecclesiae declares that no matter how an institution is legally structured, whether under the church's ownership or under an independent board of trustees, it still must conform to church teaching and to Ex Corde Ecclesiae if it wishes to be identified as Catholic. Ex Corde Ecclesiae also restores the appropriate definition of academic freedom, uh, which Father Sheridan uh, from the Franciscan University will discuss later in his talk today. So, to wrap up, do we still have a crisis in Catholic education, Catholic higher education, or are we seeing a new generation of faithful Catholic colleges? The answer is something of both. We're in a time of change. Ex Corde Ecclesiae was issued 23 years after the Land O'Lakes Statement. It's been 27 years since Ex Corde Ecclesiae was issued. And still, there are many Catholic colleges today that do not make a very serious effort to implement Ex Corde Ecclesiae. Um, but increasingly, lay Catholics and our church leaders are coming to recognize the minority of very faithful Catholic colleges as standard bearers for the future. And so, while today we mark the 50th anniversary of the Land O'Lakes Statement and observe all the destruction that ensued, I don't think that we need to do it with a sense of the document's ongoing importance. The ideas put forward in the Land O'Lakes Statement are not only no longer very interesting, but they have been debunked by the obvious secularization of the Catholic colleges that embrace them. It turns out that a Catholic college cannot, as the Land O'Lakes Statement promised, be Catholic but not remain beholden to the truths of our faith and to the leaders of our church. Today, a strong minority of Catholic colleges are forging a new path, and already we see the tremendous impact of their graduates in the church and in society. We remember the Land O'Lakes Statement not to celebrate it or even to give it continued regard, but instead, I think, to put it behind us. Our time is the time of Ex Corde Ecclesiae, which means from the heart of the church, we are restoring the foundations of Catholic education at the heart of the church and with the heart of the church. It is because of Christ and for Christ and by Christ that Catholic education forms the mind, the heart, and the soul of its students. And that is a project that we all need to get behind for the sake of our families and society and for the glory of God. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155.
and may the glory of Christ's church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist, pray for us.